Hello, everyone. Welcome to First Watch Rewatch. This is a podcast where we go to the thrift store of pop culture, be it right now movies, a little bit of TV, maybe music, whatever it is. And we go to that thrift store to find those hidden gems. Gems like so far, we've done the Cleveland Browns cinematic universe and the Apple, the dawn of the Golan Globus canon films era. But today we're coming to you with something that is known, I guess is the best term to use for it. And Maybe some of you out there are going to be like, I know the first word you're going to say in this, but I don't understand the second word with it. And to introduce this, I have to be fully honest, I had never seen this. This movie does not have the greatest reputation in the world as of then, but as I talk about its legacy, its reputation has grown much more. But I had to bring somebody in who, quote unquote, grew up with this movie. So we're bringing back in Tina Jeopardy runner-up and knower of all things tennis and of all things early Michelle Pfeiffer and Max Caulfield. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to First Watch Rewatch again, Tina. Thank you. This was one where I had never seen it. I'd never seen Grease 2. And I remember when we sat down and watched it and I... we have a Blu-ray of it. We own it on Blu-ray. Because I bought... (laughs) See, you told me that you wanted to watch this for a First Watch, for a First Watch Rewatch. And I took the opportunity to do something I have wanted to do since I was a child and to purchase a high quality copy of this movie. I will say it's not a it's not a, a Kino or a Shout Factory one. It's from like Warner Brothers or I think who distributed it and or maybe Paramount. I can't remember, but it's a pretty good uh, Blu-ray. I know yeah, it's I have, better than the old VHS copy taped well, off a cable that <laughs> yeah. I used to have. I have quite a few quite a few Blu-rays and there are some like the Transformers movie, the cartoon, not the Bay ones, which is great. And then there's ones like your least favorite movie, Streets of Fire, which is not a good Such transfer. A terrible movie. <laughs> I'm going to blame the transfer on that one. Yeah, I, I don't know that you can tra- blame the transfer for the mumbly audio and the terrible songs. You can blame it for the fact that it's so dark and you can't tell what's going on. So Grease 2, I'm going to let you start since you are the one who probably saw this decades ago. Mm-hmm. Tell me your experience with Grease 2. Here's the thing. I think I saw Grease 2 before I saw the original Grease. Because this movie came out in 82, right? I did not see it in the theater. So I probably saw it couple of years later when it was a friend or somebody, a neighbor had it on. I don't know if they even had it on VHS at the time or if we just saw it on on reruns on Channel 11. Yeah, I don't know. But I know that I was very familiar with this movie before I ever saw the first one. Let's start to talk about how this movie came to the theater. And we're going to talk about the movie. I want to talk about some of its legacy things. Sure. It opened, the film opened instantaneously, I pulled it up immediately and saw when it opened. It opened on June 11th of 1982. Mm-hmm. Recently on the Ex-Millennial Man, Ty and I did a thing about twin movies that kind of counter-programmed each other, and I'm surprised I missed this one. Because only one other movie, that's a big day, June 11th, mm-hmm. only one other movie opened that day. And that was a little film called E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Oh, God. <laughs> so, now, mind you, the week before, Poltergeist and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan open. Uh-huh. You had the week after, you had Blade Runner. And the week after that, you had The Thing. Okay. So 1982 was quite the year there. And they felt, oh, you know what? Those people I don't want to see. a lot see. of sci-fi movies yes. and horror movies. And this this movie has elements of science fiction. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that here. But <laughs> or, or fantasy. What happened is obviously the movie Grease was a big hit. Yep. And it made... I want to say it made, it made over $150 million, which today would be like half a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. It was not a big film. It was based off of a small little Broadway production where the Danny Zuko at the time was played by a gentleman by the name of Adrian Zmed, but they did not get him to play Danny but Zuko. Yes. He was the original Danny? I don't know if he was the original, but he was the one that when they made the movie. Huh. They got John Travolta. Yeah, who Was that post Saturday Night Fever? I think it was. So he would have been a big, big movie yeah, star. Yeah, big. This is. I know he was at least doing Welcome Back, Cotter at the time. And then they got Olivia Newton-John, who was a known singer, wasn't really so much of a known actor. No, she was like a country singer at the time, though. Obviously, their careers exploded out of that movie. The joke I was going to make is, in Greece, all the high schoolers were in their 30s. In Greece, too, they're all in their 20s. And we'll talk about the Greece 3, Greece 4, and the TV show that was planned. Excuse me? Yes. Okay. So they... Greece did really well. It uh, Stocker Channing, it put her on the map. She ended up after Greece going to dedicate. I think Stocker Channing is the best part of that yes. movie. Jeff Conway, 
was obviously and the people that made Grease. And I'm going to talk about these two gentlemen, Alan Carr and Robert Stigwood were the two main producers on it. They knew that they had these kind of newer people, but they filled it out because Grease was made for people who remembered the 50s. It had a very, yes, a very 50s sensibility. So they had Sid Caesar in it, who was well known, a well known comedian. You had Eve Arden, who was a well known actress. You had these people in it that were known to those. So the new younger cast, you'll be okay with. And like I said, the movie was huge. Right. We're not doing one on Greece because everybody I know is seeing Greece. Yep. So the two producers I was talking about, Alan Carr and Robert Stigwood. I'm going to start with Alan Carr. Alan Carr, he made his name in the theater. He was the guy who basically brought Lacajo Faux to the United States. Okay. He's did and he helped bring Greece to the United States. And he really he had did, a deal. Did he do the birdcage? No. Okay. But his what he brought over to the States is what eventually the became show. the yeah. Okay. Alan Carr did die in nineteen ninety-nine at the age of sixty-two. I'm gonna talk about him and Robert Stigwood. They were both gay men. They were both openly gay in in a time where that wasn't done. But not openly publicly gay. But like, still like, in yeah. a pre-Stonewall kind of era. Yeah. yeah. So he was very big into that type of these types of I don't want to say gay friendly, but it, it is. It's honestly it's gay friendly kind of sure. entertainment. He had a deal that he would get paid five million dollars if he made a sequel to Greece. Problem is he the guy who wrote it, who adapted it from the theater to the to the movie, it's from the stage to the movie theater, had died. Mm-hmm. The Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta were not going to sign on. The original composer was not going to sign on. So he literally had to start, start from the Louis beginning. I thought St. Louis was the original composer. No, he was on it, but he okay. wasn't the main composer. He also made Grease with Robert Stigwood. Now, Robert Stigwood, I don't know if you know who that is. I've heard the name. He owned a record label. He was one of the maybe really big last music media moguls. We think of people like Tommy Mottola. Robert Stigwood was bigger than Tommy Mottola. Robert Stigwood, he was responsible for bringing hair to the stage. Oh, Calcutta, Jesus Christ Superstar, Evita, Sweeney Todd, Saturday Night Fever. (laughs) This guy had a career. (laughs) Okay, He had a a massive, and then films he did, obviously, Jesus Christ Superstar, Tommy, Saturday Night Fever, Grease, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts. Anybody that gets old 70s vinyls, you'll see this logo of a pig, and it says RSO in it. That's Robert Stigwood something. So he would basically produce this stuff and then produce their records and make money off of that, too. Robert Stigwood was also openly gay, but he, he lived a pretty nice long life. He died in 2016 at the age of 81. He also, he started his career as the manager of the Bee Gees. So these guys that brought this, these were not this wasn't like the Apple, a couple of Israeli filmmakers that were trying to make it big. These were big guys. Yeah. Grease 2 had the meat behind it. And they could not get the, I can't remember, I didn't look up who did the original direction, but they brought in the original choreographer of Grease, a woman by the name of Patricia Birch, who had a long career doing choreography in movies. She did the First Wives Club. It was okay. a movie she'd done, and a couple of other ones, but she really had to basically start from scratch. I'm going to talk later on about the different versions this movie went through, but they ended up getting the guy who was writing and directing Airplane 2 <laughs> to write this. Okay. <laughs> and it was piecemealed together. And as I talk about it- We'll c- talk about later. This is a far goofier movie yes. than the first one. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Patricia Birch, you can I remember watching this, especially when we talk about Michelle Pfeiffer's big number. You can tell it's a very choreographed film. Mm -hmm. You can tell when the movements aren't fluid, but deliberate. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it looks more like a stage show than it looks like a movie. Mm -hmm. I personally felt that way about this. But again, we'll go through and talk about it. So they have to get this together. They have to find a cast. Timothy Hutton was, and there's huge media around this movie. Timothy Hutton was originally cast as, as Johnny Nagarelli. Really? No, yeah, you're going to learn very quickly. Timothy Hutt? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, Adrian Zmed was cast. It was He was originally cast as Michael Carrington. Oh, okay. That I see more. Yeah. But then Alan Carr saw Max, Maxwell Caulfield. Is this a, before Animal House or after it? Oh, this is after. I think this is after Ordinary People. Okay. Was Timothy Hutton in Ordinary People? I don't know. We'll fix it in post. Okay. Then Alan Carr saw Maxwell Caulfield in a stage production and said, no, that's it. That's my guy. I want him. Michelle Pfeiffer, who had been in a few little things here or there, but she was 23, went to do this audition thinking she had no chance whatsoever. And the director was like, that's the girl I want immediately. So 
there wasn't tons of competition. But again, they fill out the rest of the cast of T-Birds. You have people like Christopher McDonald, the Pink Ladies. You have Lorna Luft, who is the... The other daughter of Liza Minnelli. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Liza Minnelli. Not, the other daughter uh, of, of Judy, Judy Garland. Garland. Yeah, Liza Minnelli's half-sister. Yep. What's her name from King of the Hill? Bobby Hill. <laughs> Pamela Adlon. Yeah, well, Pam- she's not an official Pink Lady. No, she's not. You had some newer people, obviously. But like Greece, they brought back Diddy Khan as Frenchie. Eve Arden as a principal, which was weird. This is her last film role ever. She didn't die after this. She died like 10 years later, but I think... This movie was like, I, I'm yeah. just going to give it no, up. So that's the top. That's the best of it. That's the best we'll do. <laughs> Sid Caesar's back. <laughs> Sid Caesar, Eddie Deason is back. They also filled it out with a couple of pretty well-known named people. Tab Hunter, yep. who was a, a Hollywood-like heartthrob. Yep. Connie Stevens. Wasn't he gay? Didn't he die of AIDS? He died of a heart attack. Yes, he came out late in life that okay. he is gay. But he was uh, actually Tab Hunter was attached to some really prominent Hollywood people. Debbie Reynolds at one time. Really? Yeah. Okay. But it was just to help him cover it up sure. for his career. Yeah. Debbie Reynolds is someone I would talk about one day as a, a, a freaking saint, even though Postcards from the Edge makes it out not so much. But, what a great movie, <laughs> yeah. Connie Stevens, who played the the busty, lusty other teacher. Yeah, where Miss she, Mason. Yeah, where she <laughs> says, "Art, appre- I hope to see you all in art appreciation. We hope we see all of you in art appreciation. <laughs> that was a good line. I did like that one. <laughs> Connie Stevens, she was like, or what she is probably most famous for now is she's Jolie Fisher's mother. She, oh, is she really? Yeah, so oh, okay. she's Carrie Fisher's half-sister. Actually, I see the resemblance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. So, again, they fill it out with people that may know. And I'll I'll talk about what I thought some of the failings were with that. But we get to the movie. Now, before or while we were watching it, I was like, these songs are pretty good. I go, the problem is, though, Greece had two or three really great songs and a bunch of average ones. This is mostly average. So I went back and I listened to both soundtracks. I'm wrong. Greece, the original Greece front to back is nearly great. (laughs) It is really a great album. Yeah. So instead of... I, I think I gave you the side eye yeah, when you yeah. said that. Well, I hadn't listened in a while. Because there are just like a, like, there's like one super iconic song in Greece too. And the rest of it's all just, I probably know every word on that soundtrack by heart, but I'm not under any delusion that they're great songs. No. Let's start at the beginning. I do have some sound cues, and I didn't even put this first song at the beginning. Okay. Grease starts off with the Frankie Valley, or was it Frankie Valley? Yeah. yeah. I don't need the sound cue. <laughs> no. It, it is a genuinely great song. I don't know what I was thinking. And it sets it up really well. This, I think I told you that's a great song. Yeah. And you were like, no, it's not. Uh-huh. I'm like, no. That's a, no I, did, I did my research. <laughs> okay. As I was telling on my other podcast one time about how I was like, oh, this Armageddon's a pretty good movie. And you're like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And I said, okay, you're right. This is the dumbest thing ever. So I listened. But yeah, that's right. I'm I'm a man that listens to the woman. Yeah. So anyways, this starts off with some... I think it's the Four Tops. It's Audrey 2. Yeah, it's a guy that does the voice of Audrey 2 in Little Shop of Horrors, the movie. And it's this like whole back to school and this super. But isn't it like the four tops? Yes, it is. Okay, it, yeah. He's from the four tops. Okay. Yeah. And it's this huge like choreographed number with little things cut in here or there. Yeah. Whereas Grease starts off with the animation. Yeah. I will tell you, I was regretting my decision when that song just kept going on and on, thinking, <laughs> "Is this what it is?" Well, it goes on for a while, but it also takes pauses to. It does, and you get the the Pink Lady pledge partway through the song. Yeah, it just, it, it's not a great song, is, is all I'm saying. I, I wasn't a big fan of it, but it's setting up, it's mm-hmm. introducing your characters. Like I said, this is a very stagey production. Yeah, well, and, that's like I said, you get your favorite line. I'd like to see all of you in music uh, appreciation. That's right, music. that's right. And so you guys know, the movie takes place two years after the previous film, except for Eddie Deason, which I don't know if he's a student. Frenchie says she has to come back because she failed out of beauty school. And and she wants to get high school chemistry so she can mix her own cosmetics. Which yeah, I'm not yeah. sure that's how it works, I, but maybe it did in 1960. I'm going to say I have a very positive view of this movie at the end, but like they barely use Frenchie. Yeah. Anywhere in this movie. Yeah, she's not in it. Very it was, again, the millhouse. When are you going to get the fireworks factory I kept? And there's a famous cut scene that she played a bigger role in, but... It just seemed like the extras that they brought in were that extra. Like yeah. when I get well, to tab to Hunter ground song. you in the universe. Oh, this mm-hmm. is the same Rydell High. But I'm going to tell you this version. You know, who is it? Is it Sharon? 
or Rhonda has a picture of Vince Fontaine in her yes. locker at one yes. point. I got to say, Rydell High, the movie takes place in 1961. Rydell High at the time had exclusively Polish and Italian people that went there. That's it. Uh-huh. Some of the names here, like I said, Adrian Smed pl- is supposed to play the John Travolta role. He's Johnny Nagarelli. Yep. And you got Louis DeMucci. <laughs> yeah, DeMucci. I, I swear to God. Louis DeMucci. It's I such thought, a great name. I thought his nickname was The Mucci at one time. I'm going to play that scene. And then when I was looking, I was like, no, there's Goose McKenzie. That's Christopher McDonald. I, I didn't know what Goose's last name yeah, was. I don't know if they mention it in there. I'm just, I'm reading off <laughs> and Wikipedia. And Jaworski. Yeah, Davey Jaworski. <laughs> yep. Then on the other side, Lorna Luff plays Paulette Rebochuk. Rebchuk. A Rebchuk. That's it. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer, Stephanie Z- Zanoni. <laughs> and then because of, I don't know, diversity rules, they had to bring in Michael Carrington from England. Yeah. Who he does, does say. Does he say what Sharon and Rhonda's last names are? Uh, Sharon is Cooper and Rhonda is Ritter. Oh, yeah. I know. Because they, yeah. Yo, Ritter. <laughs> <laughs> and my, uh, Michael Carrington, Max Caulfield's character, does say that he's he's Sandy's cousin. Yeah. Or a Frenchie brings it up, says yeah. he's Sandy's cousin. So you go in, you get your typical thing. They even, and Eve Arden has the, if you're not an athlete, be an athletic supporter. It's if you don't want to play with a team, then play with yourself yeah. or something like that. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you the director here. She made a point to say, I am going to make this movie hornier. She wanted, she said, I wanted Did to make it, dirt, say it? See it dirtier. Okay. She wanted to be a little bit more sexually risque. I would argue that. Grease lightning is far oh. more explicit than anything that's in this movie. I, and I'm going to get to that. And it seemed like she wanted to do it in the first movie, but Olivia Newton-John was the one that stopped it. Mm. This movie is supposed to be hornier. And it is horny. It is horny to a point. But it's horny in the way that a 15-year-old thinks horny is. Sure, I just assume that's what... These kids are supposed to be like 17, 18. They're supposed to be, but it's a little... And it's supposed to be 1961. It's a more innocent time. Grease Lightning has a line, chicks will cream for yeah, Grease Lightning. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. That is way more, like, that is way more subtly dirty than some of the music I'm going to play well, here, that, which is that's just what I'm saying. almost Apple-like in that it's very direct. That's what I'm saying. I think the subtext of Grease Lightning is much filthier than any song in that. Lorna Luft is definitely, I think the whole movie, I called her tits. She has poking out. She's the Marilyn Monroe and Sharon is the Jackie Kennedy, right? That's the archetypes they're What we know at the beginning, this is her senior year. And Johnny and Stephanie had broke, or Stephanie had broken up with Johnny. Yep. And Johnny's not taking it well. Nope. But after the first day of school, they all decide they're going to go to the bowling alley. Now, go ahead. So I will tell you right now, just up front, Stephanie Zanoni was one of my two models of cool when I was like 10 years old, right? It was her and like Martha Quinn. These were my role models of cool. And one of the things I love about Stephanie in this movie is that she is almost always wearing pants, right? You do not see her in a skirt that often. There's a scene in the first day where somebody gets on her for wearing pants and she runs to her locker and puts on a skirt over her jeans. But then, yeah, she's... She's independent. Yeah, she's what, third wave feminism or something like that? They're probably second okay, wave yeah. at that point, yeah. So they decide they're going to go bowling. And again, because this movie is a higher form of the music from the Apple, where they're just <laughs> going to tell you everything very directly in case you're not getting it. I'm going to play a clip of this song called We're Going to Score. Called Score Tonight. Oh, yeah, we're going to, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a clip of this and uh, get some of your reactions. It is possible that went over my head at eight years old. What, you're just sitting on a bomb that's ready to explode? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think the entire metaphor may have, I may have honestly thought the song was about- I think that means premature ejaculation. I may have honestly (laughs) thought the song was about bowling when I was eight. (sighs) It's not about bowling. It's not about bowling. (laughs) And weirdly, look, you can hear from that, it's a very well-produced song. It has the same spirit of Greece. It has that kind of 50s doo-wop spirit to it. Yeah. 
But it is, yeah, we're bowling, but we're really going to try to have nun. sex. When I was recording that scene, I watched, there's actually a group of nuns off to the side that oh. were bowling at one time. So I guess that explains why the nun is there, okay. but why they're singing they're going to score. That's a... Maybe they think the song is about bowling. Yeah, maybe they, or maybe mm-hmm. they are talking about Jesus. I've known a lot more nuns than you. They're not that <laughs> stupid. <laughs> the other thing that always got me is that they're dancing on the bowling alleys. Yeah, it's really slick. And I have slid over the foul line on a bowling alley before and fallen on my ass. It is very slippery. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. So after they go to the bowling alley and they talk about scoring, Johnny is... And this is part of the issue with this movie. I'm going to get to it when I talk about another song later. Of the four T-Birds, Adrian Zemed's the shortest one. I think Jaworski is He might be, but I, but if you look at the way they're staged, I okay. think in real life, he is actually the shortest one. Okay. And he just doesn't, he, he doesn't have that charisma that John Travolta has. He seems, John Travolta. He's supposed to be a cut-rate Danny Zuko. And he is that. These T-Birds are cut-rate versions of the original T-Birds. And I think it's on purpose. You do? And I think it works for the movie. Yes. Okay. Him and Stephanie are arguing about something. And Michelle Pfeiffer, Stephanie says, I'm going to kiss the next guy that walks. No, you know what they're arguing about. Again, this is my epitome (laughs) of cool, right? He asked for his trophy and Paulette kisses him. And he says, that's for best average and then he looks at stephanie and he says what about the trophy for best score and she says i ain't no one's trophy no again icon well but then she decides she's going to kiss the very next man that walks through the door because she's asserting her independence (laughs) to do what she wants to. who happens to be our british hero michael carrington yep and through that kiss he immediately falls in love with her which i I think he was already in yeah i think he does say something (laughs) frenchy at one time you're right he starts to. How could you not be? Yeah, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. I agree, and she's cool. So he starts to follow her around, and they have this thing like, "Hey, you should go out with me." And she's like, "I'm not going out with anybody. You're not my type. You're not what I want." So what's your type? And then this gem breaks out. Burn you through and through. She's asking for it. She wants a mm. cool rider to just. Yep. <laughs> and that's the least horny song in the whole thing. Yeah. It is the song I recognize. It's a song most people, if they heard, it actually became a so genuine I, hit. I think when I knew it was coming up, though, I think I looked at you and I said, you're about to see a movie star get made right mm-hmm. before your eyes. Oh, yeah, you definitely can. Because she's incredibly charismatic during that song. And the choreography, I think, is great. That little bit on the ladder where she mm-hmm. goes up the ladder and comes back down it, I think is fantastic. And I think she's great doing that choreography. And like I said, she is charismatic and magnetic while she's singing that song. It's, and remember, this is the first time a lot of people got to see her. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to later on in the podcast play the Siskel Niebert review of this movie. Okay. And I think it's very interesting how they talk about Michelle Pfeiffer. So hold that thought for a moment. Okay. You get this idea. So he's like, okay, she needs like this cool rider or something like that. Needs this like. She wants like a badass yeah, motorcycle. And he's like. And here's the thing. Johnny Nagarelli is not that badass. And no. she knows it. No, he looks she, like a four-year-old on a tricycle. But when again, he's on they're the all huge dork. This is why I think that's a deliberate choice. I, I she is clearly, it, she clearly does not think that's what it is. No, I was like wondering why in the holy hell she would have dated him to begin with, but I wonder why in the holy hell you're standing or sitting across no, from because Johnny's too. a good looking guy. He's ahead of the group. She's mm. the head of that group and he's got good hair. Mm. This is where Michael decides, okay, I got to find a motorcycle. And you learn about this rule. I don't know if they talk about it in Greece that if you're a pink lady, you can only date T-Birds. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I got to get a motorcycle. That's the first step. And this is one of the scenes that was cut from the movie. Frenchie teaching him how to ride the motorcycle. They have a Why whole, would Frenchie know how to ride I have the no idea, okay. but they had to give Diddy Khan something to do. But again, I'm sad they cut that part out because it does tie the movies together. Mm-hmm. And instead, they have a little montage of him every now and then uh, doing these things. Now, 
before I get to two particular painting cool flames on his motorcycle. Yes, yes. Before I get to these two particular scenes, because it's going to have to deal with actually these three scenes, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead in the movie. And I did not record this part because I actually thought this song was dumber than the first song. Uh-huh. And I'm going to sing it so you guys get the joy of it. But there is a, a time where they're called the Cycle Lords in this, but there was the Scorpions. Okay. In the first movie, they come harassing people because that's what they do. Yeah. I do find it. And in- they have uh, bikes now yes. instead of the car. And you even get uh, the name of the actor is Dennis Cleveland Stewart. You get the guy who played Balmudo. Balmudo. In yeah. the, and he's called something else in this one. No, he's called Balmudo. No, he's, they gave him a first name. I think he's Lou or something like that. They do refer to him oh, as Balmudo. Oh, Le- yeah. Leo Balmudo. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, you've seen it a lot more than I have. Crater face. He yeah. has the whole things like that. And he comes back. And I, I feel like in Greece, he was more quote unquote menacing. It's almost like Looney Tunes type stuff here. Yep. I was going to say about Dennis Stewart, he was another closed gay man who ended up getting AIDS and died in 1994. But we all remember him from this. He's in DC Cab and a few things here and there. He's in episodes of Chips in MacGyver. So he's around. Yeah, Cagney and Lacey. So he had a career outside of this. This is just people our age. This is just what we know. Shows my mom watched, Cagney and Lacey and Chips. So at the time, this dude who shows up like he's got his sleeves cut off and wearing like a leather vest and these big goggles and big helmet like chases off the cycle lords or makes them crash and this song starts and again this is part of the problem is i just was waiting for it to end this was probably written by menachem golan where it was like <laughs> who's that guy he's really dreamy who's that guy he's flying a microphone or a micro motorcycle <laughs> It it just kept going. And the only good thing about it is I'm in this phase right now where I'm watching old He-Man. And one of my favorite things about He-Man is whenever they do the music, the only words they say is Mm He-Man. But they do it in like different tones. They're like, He-Man. That's what this song was. It's like, who's that guy? Who's that guy? (laughs) You might think differently. (laughs) I don't think they ever say he's really dreamy. (laughs) It just, again, I thought of getting a clip in the moment I'm playing it, I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) it's at this time that Stephanie is like, Ooh, there's my cool rider. And we'll go back to that. But I want to get back to the horniness here first. Mm -hmm. So the middle of this movie is basically all about these kids and teachers trying to get laid. Again, because I don't think this is a great song. I didn't pull the song reproduction. Yeah, but I it's pulled, not a great, it's no. pretty stupid. And Tab Hunter can't sing. Yeah, there's <laughs> that. But I did pull the scene right before it because I think this is incredibly awesome. So get a, get a load of this one. Now, what is the best time of the month for a woman to conceive? Mr. Jaworski. What's conceive? To be fertile. What's the best time? That's Nagarelli. Mr. Nagarelli. As Goose. Mr. Goose? Uh, Axe Demucci. Mr. Demucci. What? Conceive. What is the best time? At night? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. I think this movie is goofier, and I think it's actually funnier than Grease. I don't think the music is as good. It still sounds like the Moochie to me, though. That's the other problem. Axe <laughs> Demucci. If you hear the song Reproduction, which, again, is just banging on your head about, like, how pollination happens or something. But it's all the girls that are singing it, and the guys have no idea what's going on. Yeah, they're like, "Where's the pistol going, guys? I got your pistol right here." Yep, and then you got Chris <laughs> McDonald at the end of every verse. Where's the ball and go? Yeah, I, I wish that song was better. I really no, do. It's a, it's a stupid song. <laughs> but along with that, you have—is it Damucci who brings his girlfriend to the fallout? To the, yeah, to the bomb shelter. <laughs> now, this I do have part of the song because I actually think the song kicks ass. It's, <laughs> The scene is, people could maybe say problematic, but he tricks his girlfriend into coming to this bomb shelter, and then the other T-Birds are acting like they have like an air raid siren, and they're like, oh, bombs are going to drop, because all it's these people... You're playing on the fear of nuclear war. <laughs> these people just so badly want to get laid. Well, aren't, aren't teenage boys just generally like that? I'm nearly 50, and I'm like that. <laughs> <laughs> say, what if you were 17? 
where do I have an air raid siren sound on here? I need to look that up. So I get it. But what I absolutely love about this song is, let me play it, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about it here. Let's do it for our country, the red, white, and the blue. It's Uncle Sam who's asking, so your mother will approve. Tomorrow I'll be fighting, and I'll win this war for you. Let's do it for our country wants us to. Bullets are exploding, they'll soon be at the door. Give something to America you never gave before. I would have totally probably tried to attempt something like that. Does that make me a bad human being? I had probably many times tried to attempt stuff like that. See, here's the thing. I feel like there are probably a number of young men who got somebody to sleep with them the night before they shipped out for Mm -hmm. World War II or Vietnam or what have you, right? It's worth a shot. Yeah, I told you this movie takes place in 1961. This was like, we're... The height of the Cold War. Yeah, we're going to get nuked at any time. right before the Cuban Missile Crisis. The thing that I find interesting about this, though, is it doesn't work. His idiot T-Bird friends fall through the door. No, because she gets up and leaves. Oh, yeah. She opens a door, and that's when his idiot friends come through. Because he's talking about having sex. Yes. She's talking about something else entirely <laughs> through the song. Probably about getting married or something like that. I, I am going to tell And so you. she gets up and she says, come on, let's go, and opens the door. <laughs> yeah. Man, better lay the plans of mice and men or whatever. <laughs> now, during this whole movie here, and something I thought Grease did really was show the passage of time. Yeah. This movie at one time, I'm like, have they been in school for like a week? Because it does make it out like the end of the movie is the end of the school year. Yes. And it doesn't seem like that much time. No, but at the very end, you see him graduating. But anyways, there's... I guess that whole scene, like all those scenes through the middle where Michael's doing their homework, saving up. Here's the thing. It does make sense that it might take him several months to save save up enough money to buy the bike, fix the bike up, learn how to ride it. And then go woo this girl. And we're into the third act of the movie now. And this is where I start to see time move because of things like that. You talk about Michael is uh, doing the essays for all the T-Birds and making some money off of that. He ends up getting close to Stephanie because she needs help with something and he's the smart kid. Mm -hmm. This scene contains the immortal line. Hamlet went totally nuts when he saw his mother doing it in the sack with his uncle. Mm. And there's a moment in this scene where Stephanie is diagnosing Hamlet's problem as no laughs, a guy's got to lighten up. And I remember you said, yeah, she's right. (laughs) Absolutely. There's been this kind of B plot running through, but this is where the B plot is going to come to intersect with the A plot. And that's there's some talent show. Mm hmm. Now, in the original Greece, there was the big dance contest, the American Bandstand big dance contest. Yeah, with Chad D. Gregory, yeah. who is 40. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Not bad. She, yes. But in the face, that woman that plays John in the original Greece is 40. Yeah. So instead of something cool like a dance contest, they're going to have a talent show. Yep. Because this movie is inherently way more 1980s than 1970s mm-hmm. Greece. There's some preppy guys that, I, I can't even remember. Why the hell did the T-Birds want to do this? Because you're going to get 100 albums from the record oh, store. And okay. Goose really wanted the Roy, <laughs> the Roy Orbison album. Okay, thank you. <laughs> the, you. Something happens with Stephanie and the Pink Ladies and not Danny. Johnny's all upset. And so he's, okay, T-Birds, we're going to go out and we're going to find women. Now, this is the <laughs> moment of the movie. I told you this was the dumbest part of this movie. I don't even know if it's dumb. This is the moment this movie goes from being just a... Grease 2 to being some weird-ass bizarro thing on its own. So I'm going to play you the opening chords or the opening part here of the song Prowling. Okay. And it starts off with them getting on their motorcycles and prowling. They're going to go find some women tonight because that's what studly T-birds do. And then something else happens. Yep. Come on and tell us, Johnny, what's the secret of success? You got to take a tip from the king of hip cause you know that he's the
They're going to the grocery store to go pick up women. Yep. I told you it got stupid. Because <laughs> during the whole first part of the song, you were like, where are they going? Where are they going? I'm like, just wait. <laughs> the grocery store. Yep. <laughs> and it like morphs into them being at the talent show and Eve Arden just after. Well, they're in the auditions for the talent show. Oh, yeah. Show. And yep. Eve Arden just thinks the T-Birds are the best. She's like, these are my boys. The T-Bones, so. she calls. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, not subtle at all. <laughs> R.I.P. Eve. I think Eve Arden, when I looked up, she's the first person to ever win the Best Actress Award at the Emmys. And this is where her career ends. Oh. T-Bones. You know what? <laughs> I think it's an illustrious enough ending. You know what? I knew her name before the credits came up. So. Yep. Yeah, they're going prowling. And around this time, too, this is this movie has a lot of starts and stops. And it seems like all the stops are the Michael Carrington parts. I, I don't know if you felt that way. I just didn't feel like Max he's, Caulfield. He's just not an interesting character. Yeah. The most compelling is when he's tutoring Stephanie. That right. is his most compelling moment because he's trying to figure out how to tell her that he's the cool rider guy. Yeah. Right? And, and I'm going to talk about why we all know who Michelle Pfeiffer is today. Yeah. Very few people know who Maxwell Caulfield is yeah. today. And it, it's this movie. That's what Maxwell Caulfield thinks. It's this movie. But there's this whole thing about the T-Birds are going to chase him or something. The cool rider shows up. Because he takes he shows up to her job at her dad's gas yes. station and takes her for a ride. And they're doing some very dangerous acrobatics on this motorcycle that just don't seem very safe to me. And she's not wearing a helmet. Nope. And he is, but I don't think it's for safety. I think it's just for disguise. And she winds up making out with him and then the T-Birds find them. And he ends up taking off, going off some cliff or some reconstruction zone. Not at this part. What are we missing between this and the end? Prowling. I just played that. Yeah, but then there's a whole other scene where he, so when he leaves her at that, again, I have seen this Mm -hmm. many times. When he leaves her at that scene, he tells her that he'll see her again at the talent show. Yes, yes. So then he shows up at the talent show, which presumably is days later, mm-hmm. right? See and then they see him. And that's when they go chase And that's him. when they go okay. chase him. So he goes and... They don't chase him then because they got to do their big number. Yeah, I thought it, I knew it was after Prowling. That's <laughs> yeah. why I played that part. But it's all just deeply stupid. It's I told a- <laughs> you during that motorcycle chase, I said, it's going to get even dumber. Yeah, and he flies off something and they're all like they, he's dead they go through a construction zone and then he makes a jump into a big pit and they stephanie immediately decides he's dead mm-hmm. nobody else immediately decides he's dead but she immediately decides yep. he's dead and then the pink ladies start doing their number which is this girl for all seasons yep. i kept thinking in my head I actually it, think that's not a bad song. it's yeah it's like a 1960s version of the nutcracker four seasons suite or something yep and she goes off and she's in, winter, so she's last. Yeah. And halfway through. She has some. <laughs> she has like a psychotic break or sing, some sort of hallucination. Yes. Sing some other song where she imagines her and the cool rider together. In or heaven. What, yeah. Because <laughs> he's dead. And then everybody's like, yay, that was the greatest ever. So she wins. Yeah. And the T-Birds win. And. Johnny and Stephanie are going to be the prince and princess or the whatever. The king and queen of the Lonnie K. Lonnie Luau. <laughs> yes. So we get to the part of the movie that is supposed to be but the school carnival. I say this movie is funnier. There are these bits of physical comedy when the two of them are in the pool. Like that both of them. I, it, it is very, I think it's really funny. So they're at their little Lonnie Kau Lonnie K. Lonnie Luau. Which I guess... After two years, they're still recovering from the cost of the huge carnival. Yep. And their two students flying off into heaven. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Maybe they went off to be with Cool Rider. I'm going to talk about where they ended up because that was supposed to be in this movie. Okay. But yeah, Johnny and Stephanie are not getting along. And then the cycle lords show up and start riding their bikes everywhere. And everybody... Why are they crashing like a school lua? <sighs> I don't know. To stop this, there's only one man that can stop the cycle lords. Yeah. So straight from heaven or whatever. Cool rider shows up, (laughs) jumps onto a motorcycle, (laughs) and defeats them by riding really fast around the Lua. Yes. (laughs) Sure. Here's before the final big number. This is the reconciliation between all the groups and the denouement of the cool rider story. 
You made that jump? Shakespeare. Thought you were dead. You. Move it! No, we remain silent. What? Nothing. No. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny. Yeah, you got one more jump, Mr. Cool Rider Shakespeare Carrington. I'm not doing enough of this. He's got a point, Johnny. Hey, David's got a point, Johnny. Who's got a point about David's foot? Shut up, all of you! I got a point to make, too! Jacket! One cheaper jacket. Jacket. For starters, let's see how it looks. <laughs> now this is with all the teachers they're wrecked luau and everybody's all excited because for a gang initiate <laughs> yes <laughs> that, that michael they call him shakespeare because he was helping them with because he's english and he well, was helping I think them they with called, their own they've called him shakespeare yeah. from before he was helping them with their own and johnny grows and everybody learns mm, and grows yeah very important and they, except for bald muto no, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I'll, I'll get to Greece three in a moment here, but uh, Dolores, can... who's Paulette's little sister, she's always had a little crush on Michael, but now she's going to go hang out with Davy. There's even a moment where he leans down and gives her a kiss on the cheek and whispers something in her ear, and you don't really hear what it is. Yeah, that's Sofia Coppola stole that for Lost in Translation years later. And everybody, <laughs> but anyways, I guarantee you, she saw this movie. <laughs> And they have, I'm not going to play it. It's actually, I think, is a pretty good song. I mean, this movie does have a lot of Italian-American heritage yes. in it. They have this whole kind of, it's not, it's not the, what is it, the one that I want. It's no. a, But it's a little bit slower song, this We Belong Together, Everybody Pairs Up. My favorite part of it, though, is Demucci is with his lady that he tried to date rape. Yeah. And, he's, and he's like, am I ever going to get it? And she <laughs> says, it's okay to just be friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, the exact words are, he says, will I ever score? Yes. And she says, there's nothing wrong with just liking each other. <laughs> so cock blocked again. Poor Damucci. <laughs> so, in my world, he was the star of Grease 3 because he failed yep. and had to come back. <laughs> Something I will say in this whole movie, because Adrian's mad is just out of place in this movie. See, why do you think that? Because I think he's perfect. He's because he, uh, he's are not enormous. John Travolta. Exactly. That's uh. the point, right? All right. He is not Danny Zuko. Goose is not Kanicki. <laughs> no. <laughs> right? No. I think that's the point. This is the, these guys are dorks through and through, the All entire right. way through. Because the thing is that Zuko and Kaniki, the other two guys, yeah. what's their names, Dodie and Putsy or yeah, whatever. They're, you have to they're, they're dorks, right? But Danny and Kaniki are cool, like mm-hmm. legit yes. cool. Okay. Our son goes through a seven to 12 yes. high school. And even the ones that are like in 11th and 12th grade no, are they're not dorks. cool. Yeah. They're enormous dorks. They're still got all a whole bunch of like teenage boy insecurities to them, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why I find the T-Birds, like maybe not physically, but the T-Birds in this movie much more believable as idiot teenage boy. Because they are giant dorks. And there is a line in the beginning of the movie where Stephanie's talking about why she broke up with Johnny. And she says, I outgrew him. My point is, I do think the movie ended. I did. I think the movie is actually pretty good. So let's talk about its legacy. Okay. Once again, I told you at the time period it came out. A lot of people will say, especially for genre films, 1982 is far and away the greatest year of movies. And you have movies like E.T. that you can sit and watch today, and it doesn't look like it's aged Mm -hmm. at all. You've got movies like Blade Runner and The Thing that were not that big when they came out. Again, the whole E.T. phenomena, but are widely considered masterpieces today. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, is the one that got all Star Trek fans mad. But it is the movie that gave you the next generation, mm-hmm. showed that Star Trek could be a viable movie property. Around this time, there was Siskel and Ebert. The, mm-hmm. It's still, I think, the greatest movie review system ever, either thumbs up or thumbs down. And they were, right after they just did the review for Star Trek II, which they both wildly liked, they said a lot of good things, Yeah, they do the review for Grease II. Uh-huh. And I'm going to play... They've already shown the scenes and all this other stuff. I'm going to play for you Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel's initial reactions to this movie. Okay. The two stars of the movie are Maxwell Caulfield and Michelle Pfeiffer, who plays Stephanie Zanoni, the one who is walking away by the fence. It's inevitable they're going to be compared with John Travolta and Olivia mm-hmm. Newton-John. And Are they as good? Pfeiffer has some of the same electricity as Newton-John, but Maxwell Caulfield is no John Travolta. And what's worse, he doesn't even dance much in this movie. I thought Grease was about dancing, practically. The plot is really dumb. To win the Pink Lady's admiration, 
Caulfield puts on a mask and appears as the mystery motorcyclist jumping his motorcycle over old Studebakers at high school hops. It seems like an hour goes by, though, before the woman finally figures out who this guy is. She can only see him from the bottom of the face down. <laughs> the plot wouldn't be so bad if the movie had more life, but it has forgettable songs, choreography that looks like crowd control, and for that matter, not very much grease. <laughs> I'll compare the two, and I don't think they stack up well at all for another reason. Huh? Singing ability. This woman, you say, has some of the same electricity. I don't, she's pretty. I don't think much more than that. And she can't sing like Olivia Newton-John. The film doesn't have the same songs as the first film. first film had a number of very memorable songs, huge hits. I can't remember a single song from this film. So we have a man who can't dance like Travolta, a woman who cannot sing like Olivia Newton-John, right. songs that are no good. Yeah, at the same time, I think I liked it a little bit more than you because it was an homage to the biker. Mm -hmm. And I find that myth appealing, and I found that the film got a lot of its power just by introducing the character of this heroic biker image. The question, but I don't think it's a the as question good as the I first had, one. Why did Grease 2 have to be a total remake of the first one with very little invention and not a new story and not really a different era? Mm -hmm. Why not advance it 10 years to 1969 right. or 1979 or make it to punks versus the faculty yeah. anything other than just the I same think, stuff yeah, recycled they again. play it safe you think Cecil and Ebert went back 10 years ago listen to that and still don't think Michelle Pfeiffer is a movie star oh I famously Roger Ebert I know he gave I think in the probably the episode right after this he talked about how John Carpenter's The Thing is one of the most disgusting and horrible movies ever. And then 10 years later said, I'm wrong. Yeah. Oh, no, they, they, <laughs> it, it seemed to me that, that. It seemed like Ebert, Ebert actually yes. did really like her. And <laughs> yes. Siskel was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that comparing almost anybody vocally to Olivia yes. Newton-John is, nobody sings like Olivia no. Newton-John. Right. I think Michelle Pfeiffer is a fine singer. I've seen her sing in the Fabulous Baker Boys. I've seen her sing in, wasn't she into the, in that Into the Woods movie a few years mm -hmm. ago? I think she's fine, right? She's as good as Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway as a singer. It's, yeah. It's fine. She's better than Gwyneth Paltrow. Again, I think, yeah, that's a criticism. Again, Livy Newton-John is a generational talent yes, as a vocalist, yes. but probably half the actress that Michelle Pfeiffer is. Right? I don't think Olivia Newton-John is a particularly good actress. No, she's not. Again, I agree that the T-Birds, I, I was just talking about, mm -hmm. they're dorks in this movie, but I think it works for this movie. There's something that Roger Ebert said, and this talks about, this is going to talk about the plan for all of this, that I do agree with, is that it seems very much like a remake of the first movie, except maybe yeah. gender swapped. Yeah, and I would say the gender politics of this movie a little bit somewhat more progressive. So why not move it forward? I can tell you the original. So point. isn't there some Pink Ladies show that's on yeah, right now? Yeah, I've never seen that. canceled, but, but I okay. think that's mostly due to the strikes going on. But let's talk about what the plan was. So again, Greece made close to what is equivalent to half a billion dollars when it came out. Huh? This movie was made with almost double the budget. So it wasn't a case where they were trying to save money. Yeah. They put money into it. Yep. And this movie looks good. I think it looks really good. Yeah. And you talk about, especially Michelle Pfeiffer, some of the choreography. It, it's a very showy movie in a lot of ways, but it does look really good. It made $15 million. It was not, you're talking about at a time where all the movies I'm talking about around there are making $100 million in 1982. Yeah. It gets, and in that time, it gets this whole, it's not Greece. As a matter of fact, Maxwell Caulfield really tried to get them to change the name of it because he said there's a quote somewhere where he said, he felt like he lost 10 years of his career because of Greece too, because everybody thought he was going to be the re next Richard Gere or John Travolta. And he wanted to call it Son of Greece or another name they were looking at. There was more Greece. But the two producers, Alan Carr, Robert Stigwood, they had a plan. There was going to be a Greece 3. Okay. That was going to come out a few years later. I, go ahead. Keep going. There was going to be a Greece 4. Okay. There was going to be a television show, which was going like to focus was, was, on the Pink Ladies. Uh, I was going to say, was Dolores going to be the head of the Pink Ladies in Grease 3? I, so I'm wondering. <laughs> and it was going, Grease 3 and Grease 4 were going to take place during Vietnam and the counterculture era. Hmm. This movie killed all that forever. And as a matter of fact, I know through all of Olivia Newton-John's life, there was, she was attached multiple times to another sequel to Grease. Originally, they were just, the, the first thought of this movie was it was going to be um, Stockard Channing and Jeff Conway. It was going to be them in summer school. And then they were going to get married at the end of it. Stockard Channing said, nope, not at all. And she ended up in the 80s becoming a huge stage actress. Mm -hmm. I think 
she appears again on TV when she's the first lady in the West West Wing. Wing, yeah. Yeah. Jeff Conway obviously had his problems with substance abuse and things like that. And then was on Taxi, right? Yeah. They also tried to get John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John to make a cameo at the end of the movie to show them married, owning a gas station, and they were going to sing a song called Gas Pump Jockey. But neither of them would do it. <laughs> so they own a gas station. Yeah. Now again, this is two years Not after the, the one last Stephanie's movie. Stephanie's working at because that's her dad's gas station. I'm wondering if that's if that's where the gas station be, comes because from. Because in the canon in the movie is that's her is that Stephanie's yeah. dad owns that gas station. My point is they went through a lot. It seems like at the end they really and the movie kind of shows that they really just cobbled everything they could together. Yeah. At the end of it, but as time's gone on, you're not the first person I've heard to say they enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. And you think about Greece. With me, it's there's a question of is it childhood nostalgia or is it something else? But you talk about what how cool Stephanie Zanoni was. She is cool. You guys don't know Michelle Pfeiffer went on to quite a nice career, including <laughs> being in a Marvel and all that other stuff. Being but, in a Marvel mm, and nominated for a number of Academy yes, Awards. And Catwoman. Being, the Catwoman. The best Catwoman. <laughs> Again, she's a movie star. Yes. But it, I think, though, part of it is with Greece. My parents were in their late 20s. Which is why I say to Maxwell Caulfield, if this movie destroyed your career, how do you explain Michelle? Again, I don't think he's that good of an actor. This is what I'm saying. Like Max Caulfield, again, he didn't even come close to Michelle Pfeiffer. He did play Colonel Strawn Vincent in Gettysburg, which if you know that movie, very not a huge part in any way. No real movie career that is that big. He Oh, he was the bad guy in Empire Records, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah, like the rock star that comes in. Yes, you are right. Rex Manning. Yeah, because I'm pretty (laughs) sure I remember seeing Empire Records and going, hey, Michael Carrington. But he's had a huge career on stage. He played Billy Flynn in the Chicago production. I think the one with B.B. Newworth and all them. Okay. That was 2007. He's done the, again, stage-wise, he's done the odd I saw that production. This is 2007. I saw that show in 2006. So maybe before he was. Okay, yeah. He might have taken over for somebody. But he's had a pretty good stage career, just not nearly the movie career. Again, that Michelle Pfeiffer, even Christopher McDonald. He's in all sorts of things all the time, most notably Shooter McGavin from Mappy Gilmore, which we're recording this the day that Bob Barker passed away. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Oh, yeah. No, Chris McDonald. Who knew that Shooter McGavin could sing? Because he's actually (laughs) not a bad singer. Oh, the one thing I disagree with Siskel Niebert on this is, look, the two leads are not the same as the two leads from Greece, but the background singing, yes, does anybody really have a solo number? Louis DiMucci has a solo oh, yeah. number. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as serious as a song of the things I could do. No. <laughs> it's hard to compare that one. But again, I think a lot of it is, I was saying, my parents were in their 20s. It was like, oh, it's like going back to high school for us. You were preteen or so when you first saw this. Oh, and I was pre- like probably in single digit ages when yeah. I first saw this. But it spoke more to you, which again, as our generation. Because I wanted to be like Stephanie Zanoni yeah. when I grew up. I tell Her this to Martha people, Quinn. This is yeah. what I'm saying. I tell this to people all the time. We're Generation X. We're never going to be in charge of anything, but we own pop culture. Yeah. And this movie has lived as this cult classic. And like I said, I sat down and watched it and I did not feel very good 10 minutes in. But an hour and a half later, I did. I'm like, this is a pretty good movie. I'll probably watch it again. I would easily recommend people watch it. When Ebert, Siskel and Ebert talk about the songs aren't that memorable, Mondo a couple of years ago, which is one of those big like pop culture houses, released a pink and black swirled vinyl of the soundtrack. <laughs> really? And it sold out like immediately. It's, people are into it. But I want to talk about two particular Son of Greece too. let's say. The Children of Greece 2. The first one is a play called Cool Rider. Yeah, isn't that just the stage show of Greece 2? I think 2015, 2014, in that time period. Okay. Had a pretty good, successful run. People liked it. It's good. But the one I really want to talk about is something called Premaloka. I hope I'm saying that right. It translates to Word of Love. It's a 1987 romantic musical film written and directed by Ravi Chandran, who's a famous Indian director. This is his first movie, and he's gone on. He's been very famous. We talked about this beforehand. It's a Kannada film. Kannada. It's an Indian movie remake. Now, you are very familiar with Indian movies. I'm not really. I've seen enough of them to know that I don't want to watch anymore. Why? Because they're 
like three and a half hours long and the, the entertainment <laughs> value does not justify the length of time you're going to be sitting there. It's uh, not Oppenheimer three and a half uh, hours no. long. Premaloka is two and a half hours long. This is a short <laughs> movie. It's a musical. Okay. They're all musical. And when you go through and you read the, the synopsis of it, and it's all about this one dude, his parents get mad at him because he just causes havoc all the time. And so they send him away to this school. And then there's this girl that won't like listen to what her parents say. So they send him to school there and he finds her and he really likes her. And she's like, I want nothing to do with you. And then <laughs> there's these ruffians that keep showing up. So he gets a bike and puts a helmet on and all this stuff. And he ends up like beating the ruffians. And she's like, oh, that's the one I want. So I'm going to play you this film's version. And this is their version. The song is translates to who's that guy. I believe she's saying, who's that guy? Okay. Because <laughs> the other song, that's all they freaking say. <laughs> he does have a kick-ass mustache, so maybe she's had a hot mustache. Yeah, maybe. And like I said, it launched the career of a huge Indian director. It's after the he beats up the ruffians. Is it supposed to be Grease too? Yes. He stops the ruffians and she's like, oh, he's really good. And then the guy who really is trying to convince her to still like him and she's like, no. And at the end, he breaks up some ruffians doing stuff at a party. And she's like, oh, I love you. And then his parents find out what he's doing. And they're like, ah, you don't do that anymore. And then the, her parents find out that she's going to marry this dude. I'm not sure the story beats are exactly the same, but OK. It is credited, like in the credits, it is credited as based off of Greece too. OK. <laughs> I do know there's only one other song that I think, and I don't think it's Do It For Your Country. But it's there's Cool Rider. <laughs> there's one other song. It's probably Cool Rider. <laughs> That is in there. But the one that it was a hit, it was the movie was a hit. The music was a hit. So that was the legacy of it reached another continent. Sure. At the end of the day. Yeah. Is Grease to a success? Again, it's. I grew up on this movie. It is very hard for me to talk objectively about the quality of this movie because I have such a little soft spot for it in my heart. Like I said, Stephanie Zanoni icon she ain't no one's trophy she's independent she's not gonna be tired of being someone's chick right she's her own person and i appreciated hearing that as an eight or nine year old so no i just i think it's an enjoyable movie i think it's funnier than the original grease i think a lot of the humor just lands better with me and maybe that's just a function of having seen it so many times but i don't think the music is as good as grease objectively speaking but I enjoy that the, the T-Birds are actually giant dorks in this movie and that it's very clear that the Pink Ladies are basically too good for all of them. I will say of the movies we've done so far, and this will be our third episode, it's the best movie. <laughs> <laughs> so the Apple, then mm -hmm. what? We did the the Masters of the Gridiron, the Cleveland Browns. Oh, OK, yeah, no, this movie. is this is certainly the most competently made movie. It was. I think this movie has a coherent plot. Yeah, I think if. They had made this movie 10 years later. I, even, I don't even want to say that because I, I don't know at a point, maybe this is a topic for the ex-millennial man, at what point did nostalgia become the thing? We're living in the shadow of the Barbie movie right no, now. But so the original Grease was made in the late 70s as nostalgia for the 50s. Right. So nostalgia's always been a thing. No, but nostalgia for, this would have been better if it was nostalgia for the movie Grease. Oh, and in doing that, I think you've got to do you've it. You've got to do it twenty years yeah, later. You've at got, that point, yeah. Again, Alan Ladd wanted to make that five million dollars sure. that the studio had for him. Different than a lot of these movies that are just cash ins, like canon movies that I've talked a lot about the last over this summer. This movie was confidently made. It's a weird term I keep using, but you could tell I had a little bit of a problem with the showiness. I thought when your opening song and then supposed to be your I don't know if who's that guy. Maybe Cool Rider is supposed to be your, their signature song. No, Cool Rider's the I want song for this yeah. movie, right? It's it's the bell of this movie. Yeah. The music in it is above average with a couple of really good hits. It just, the movie needed a little bit more time, I think, is what I'm saying. And maybe a better lead. That seems to be the story of all of these movies we're talking a about. A better male, male lead. lead. Yeah, male yeah. lead. I guarantee you. That the time Dangerous Liaisons or something came out, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel were like, this is the same girl that was in 
Grease too. <laughs> I think she's better than Olivia Newton-John. I do like how Gene Siskel's like, eh, she's pretty, but. Yeah. Like I said, she's not as good a singer, but she's a better actress than Olivia Oh, yeah. She's a much better actress. Yeah. I, you and I, I mean, going to do. And... Yeah. You and I have both already seen. Olivia Newton-John's not good in Grease, but the subject matter carries her. She is terrible in Xanadu. Yeah. <laughs> Gene Kelly carries that movie. <laughs> and ELO. I got to give ELO sure. credit. All right. Tino, I do thank you for introducing this to me. I will trust your judgment a little bit more, even if you don't like Armageddon. Yeah, I'm going to need you to go out and buy a motorcycle. Oh, I'm already. Hey, <laughs> I'm already. How do you think I got you? I was totally that cool rider. Yeah, except that's when you had that Honda Del Sol and your flip up shades. Hell yeah, and hair. And <laughs> yeah, but your hair was never that good. So. Uh, what are you talking about? Is flowing? No. <laughs> Golden blonde locks. No, no. When you went bald, it wasn't really a great loss for all of us. And that's how I remember. Look, I said I wasn't going to do it, but this is literally the only way we can go out. So thank you once again. Thank you. So in remembrance of all that we've been through. <laughs> for First Watch Rewatch, remember, we are here on the first and the 15th of every month. We'll be coming to you with Buckaroo Bonsai. We also have The Room and a couple other ones. Once again, we thank you. Make sure you go to Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, and look for Public Forum Productions or First Watch Rewatch. Follow us and feel free to contact me and tell me what needs to be watched for the thousandth time or the first time. Thank you again.